This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. Hello, I'm Sarah. I'm going to be kind of doing a a bit of a mixed uh, approach. So I'm going to be partly talking about how science has influenced my life, and I'm going to be partly asking you how science has influenced your life. And through those two lines of conversation, we're going to come to some kind of rough conclusion about why science might be important to you um, and why it's important to support it. And I imagine that in this room of people that pretty much everyone here is already a converted choir member. So I don't want to be like, science is important, yes? Because I think that most people would agree. So as, uh, as the sort of conclusion draws out, uh, I'm, uh, I'll be sort of re-mentioning the March for Science details because that's sort of the group that I'm on, that I'm here on behalf of, um, the lead organizer for the March for Science that's happening next Saturday. And this is sort of my story of why. Um, So my name is Sarah Topps. My parents accidentally named me after a dinosaur. Um, They they did not realize. And they also had recently moved to dinosaur country in central Alberta, where everyone knows dinosaur names. It is, it is. So in any case, I went to kindergarten first day, and all the kids and the teacher were like, ah, you're a dinosaur. You have a dinosaur name, which is when you're five is fantastic. And so I immediately decided that paleontology was it. That's what I was going to do. I've got the name. You know, it's like Indiana Jones. Could he be anything else? Probably not. So me, five to, uh, you know, some, some young age decided paleontology was the science for me. I learned all the dinosaur classifications and all the different eras and all of which I've forgotten now as an adult. But at the time, I was super into it, and I went to you know, paleontology camps, and I you know, read up about this. And, and for me, that was kind of my introduction to science. Like, I didn't think of it as science at the time because you don't have those silos. You don't have those kind of categorizations of things when you're young. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, so that was kind of my introduction to science. I would like to think, I'd like, I'd like all of you to sort of turn to one person beside you and just sort of try and think of what was your first introduction to science, whether you knew that was science or not. And it doesn't have to be a hard science, it can be a social science. It's a very broad kind of definition. Okay, I'm going to get everyone to bring it back now. I, I get the feeling that this group could talk for a long time about a subject like this. But I'm just curious, does anyone have an answer they does anyone have an answer that they'd really like to share? That's something that came up that was kind of unique? Uh, maybe nature. Nature? I was introduced to nature when I was very, very small. Mm-hmm. Being out in the country, being seeing the birds, seeing the animals, etc. All of that is scientific in the sense, eh? Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean. And uh, as a for a child, that's uh, pretty impressive. Really impressive. It's something you just never forget, and you 
relevant attachment to it in one way or another, eh? I mean, we all, all sense that we want to be in touch with nature in one way or another. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Anybody else have? Yes? When I was 11, my dad, he worked in the city of Vancouver, he was a garbage collector. You'd be surprised what kind of interesting things they find. One day he went home, a whole bunch of uh, uh, plants that were not American, but that was made in England. He also brought home chemistry book. This was a, an inorganic chemistry dealing with uh, phosphorescent oil and different sort of things. It had the periodic table in it. So at 11 years old, he commanded me to put packs in the open. I memorized it. I mean, there's so many interesting, I think that probably every person in here probably had a, a different answer. And that's one of the things that I find really interesting about science is that it's so broad. You know, people, when we think about science, so many people think about, you know, the, the very obvious, you know, physics, biology, chemistry, that subjects you call science in high school. But it's so much more than that. And I think the more I learn about science, the more I find there's more subjects that I haven't even heard of, which is incredible to me. As, as a person who loves to learn, it's, it's the best kind of field to explore. So after uh, you know, I changed my course a little bit, I, uh, you know, I, I love paleontology, but you know, you're getting older, you want to kind of mature a little bit. And I ended up in, uh, I ended up in Air Cadets as a 12-year-old. And so at 12, sorry, I feel like I'm getting feedback. Um, at 12, I was um, introduced to the science of flying, and again, something pretty interesting, pretty cool for a 12-year-old. And I remember studying the, the science of flying and how it had only been, you know, at, at 12, thinking it, this thing had only been invented maybe less than 100 years ago. Uh, that notion of, you know, you haven't really got in your head, like, time and how long things have taken to get to a certain point. Do you understand that? hundred years isn't really that much time in the span of human history. So I felt pretty privileged to be able to, one, learn about the science of flying as a kid, uh, two, to be able to fly. I flew a lot as a kid. I had parents that were very, um, you know, they were very kind of pro hand-me-down clothes, but also pro taking us on trips to various cool places around the world. So that's how they kind of chose to spend their money, and I think, you know, it, it's made me a better person. So it, this, all this travel and all these times on the plane, you know, I, I remember talking to my dad who, who grew up in Zimbabwe, and he would tell me stories about how um, he used to travel from Zimbabwe to England on the ship, and it would take months, months. It couldn't, I couldn't imagine as a 12-year-old being on a boat for months to go home for, you know, to visit someone. And it blew my mind, you know, I was like, what, this happens? It's like my father, right? It's one generation. Um, and it, that's always been something that, again, with the science of flying and the science of travel that's improved so much, and now we're into the era of space travel, uh, it's incredible to me how fast that is, is sort of improving and how fast we're getting better at it, and that in one generation we could have gone from months to get from one place to another to hours. Um, and I saw a really neat graph, which I 
was going to bring for you, but unfortunately my slides all deleted, but it's, it was a graph showing um, from the 1800s how many months it would take you to get to different parts of the world, and some parts of the world aren't even on the map yet. And they did that same map again in hours. How many hours would it take you to get to different parts of the world? And there are very few places on Earth now that take more than 48 hours to get to. And I think that's you know, pretty incredible. It's pretty phenomenal. So I'm curious. I mean, this is all kind of leading towards my next question, which is uh, which scientific breakthrough, and that could be an invention or it could be a concept, it could be you know, pretty broad, which scientific invention do you think has had the biggest impact, the biggest, has made the biggest change in human history so far? And I always like to ask this question to people because sometimes people come up with really obvious things and sometimes people come up with things that at first glance you're like, how has that changed human history? But then they explain it. So I'm always interested to hear answers. So same thing, turn to a person next to you or near you. Uh, it doesn't have to be the same person. Feel free to kind of mix yourselves up a little bit.
Okay. So, again, with the ideas, I'd love to hear some of them. I heard some really great ones while I was walking around. Electricity in general. I mean, that's pretty, pretty incredible. Are you allowed to study or, or learn things at night? 
Oh yeah, I mean it, it increased the capacity of being able to do anything by double for humanity, right? I saw a couple of their hands. Calculus, yes, or any math, really. Symbolism. Symbolism. So, as in, like the beginning of language and being able to. Yes, for sure. Uh, one of my favorite ones, and the one that I often go to when I'm asked about this, by people asking if what's my favorite invention, I have to go with vaccines, public health, and international development. It's such a clear, you know, like pull at the heartstrings for me. It's. I think that we're going to look back on that in a similar way that we look back on some of these other inventions. Um, but language, for me, is the scientific breakthrough that really kind of made it all possible. Um, and some people will argue that's not a real science or that's not real scientific breakthrough. But you know, I, for me, it, it is. It's the same. It's like trial and error, and it's and it's working working things out as a group. It's a shared methodology. So I think it's, I, that's my favorite one. So I went on to university, as I said, I studied some international development. I learned all kinds of cool sciences, social sciences and hard sciences alike. Um, and I kind of kept that interest going. And I was about to finish university and I was in my last year undergrad. And I, you know, I, I, I wanted to do something with this international development, but I couldn't quite figure out where I wanted to go with it. And then I was in this, this class um, that ended, it was a very strange class. It was uh, natural resource sciences and something class. Like it was very, it was out on a farm. It was very not typical of like a university class, what you would imagine. And it was talking about essentially, you know, um, water and minerals and food and all these resources and what we are doing with them and what's going to happen with them as humanity kind of increases to that maximum population that Brent and I were talking about at the beginning. So it was from my perspective, I was thinking, hmm, well, this explains, um, you know, what people are doing in a lot of places. And what I wasn't expecting is for, um, because of that class, to hear about a tiny, very unknown technology that I, that just, for me, like, really changed the direction of where I wanted to study. So I uh, I came across a technology called SODIS. Has anyone heard of that? No, SODIS, S-O-D-I-S. So it's SODIS is short for solar disinfection. And how it works, it's, I, for, from my perspective, it should be one of the greatest breakthroughs. However, because of uh, sociology reasons and sort of uptake, like people are very suspicious of it seems too easy, um, which happens a lot with scientific inventions. Um, so basically all SOTUS is, is you take a plastic or a glass water bottle, which we have in abundant supply on Earth at the moment. You fill it with water from a source like a stream or a lake or a well, anywhere, here, um, anywhere that has reasonably clear water. So you can't fill it with mud, but you, you've got to fill it with something with a turbidity under 50 NTU which is roughly, um, so this might be like 100. So you're, you're not talking that clear, right? It's just gotta be clear enough that you can see through it, um, can have discoloration. And you put it in this bottle, and you can get to that from 
screening through fabric. It's not hard to do. We know how to do that. We've done that for thousands of years. Put it in this bottle. You lay the bottle on its side in the sun. And you just leave it for one day if it's sunny, two days if it's kind of cloudy and overcast. You essentially just leave it out in the sun. It's a minimum of six hours. There's tons of science behind it, but I won't get into that here. And then it's safe to drink. It's incredible to me that this works. I honestly didn't believe that it worked when I first looked at it, I first heard about it. I wouldn't have believed it unless it was in the context that I heard of it. And I decided to make that my thesis topic because I thought, how can we have something that is so easy and so obvious and so low cost that will save millions of people from drinking you know, unsanitary water? How can we have something like this? And it just, people just don't use it. Um, and so that was sort of my, my thesis topic is why do we not have this, why, do we, why are we not using this panacea? And it came down to human behavior. It wasn't that the science didn't work, the science worked perfectly. It's, you know, anyone can try it. In Canada, you probably want to leave it out for two days just because we're at a northern exposure, but it does work if you're ever stuck in the woods. Um, but it's, it's not taken up because people don't trust each other. Because people, you know, we've, we've done so many horrible things to each other around the world over the years that if you go up to somebody in Africa or Asia and you say, here, I can make you stop getting sick with this plastic water bottle, they will just not believe you, which I don't blame them. I, I probably would have the same reaction. Um, Itself. The, the only reason you're using the bottle is to basically hold, it's a vessel for holding the water in the sunlight. But you can use glass, you can use anything that's transparent. Any personal Nope. You cannot use glass. No, you can use glass. I've done experiments with both. Is the water, is the water initially contaminated? Yeah. It can have E. coli in it, like a thousand counts, and you can put it in the sun. And it's the it's a combination of the, the heat. So it, the, the sun heats it up to maybe like 50 degrees, like warm bath, you know, not bath water, but like not cold. And that kills off some percentage of the bacteria, but then the rest is just irradiation from the, from the sun. It's, it's incredible, seriously. You can even look it up. You can look up the science. I've got, I can provide 50 source pages if you need. Um, and that's fine. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't believe it either. It's hard to believe. It is, right? Um, there's, there are certain limitations, like the water can't be deeper than five centimeters, and that's why we say do the water bottle, so that it, it can penetrate to the, to the full extent of it. Um, and they say not to do more than two liter bottles at a time, because obviously the water can then circulate and sort of get out of the sun or, or get it not so that it's not having the full irradiation problem. That'll be too deep because five centimeter pool. <laughs> so maybe like a, a fountain or something. But yeah, puddles. Get clear during the sun. Yeah, but they would. But then they would probably be recontaminated as well, right? So, but if you had it in a, if you took puddle water and you scooped it up and you put it in a vessel and then had it irradiated, it would be safe to drink. Yeah. Um, we recommend sealing it just because then it can't be recontaminated. Interesting, right? So, 
uh, my computers. I did, yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, what science do you know of that is similarly kind of underappreciated or um, maybe I'm getting into controversial stuff, but so what's like the cutting edge stuff that's happening right now or something that has happened in the last 10 years but isn't getting enough attention um, that you think is sort of will play a bigger role or could play a bigger role if it was given the right attention by policymakers or by just science in general? Actually, you'd probably be the better person to explain it, Brent. good for that. So I finished my undergrad, I worked for a bit, I defended my thesis, I interested a lot of people in SOTUS because a lot of people go, that can't possibly work. And then they read all this and they're like, why aren't we using this? This is incredible. Um, that might have probably elicited a lot of questions in your thesis. Yes. Well, thankfully my, my thesis uh, supervisory defense team, they actually had heard me talk about it for six months prior, so they, you know, <laughs> they were tired of asking questions at that point. Um, so I went, I finished my undergrad, and one of the reasons, well, one of the ways that that shifted my kind of directionality in life is that I thought, okay, there's two ways from my understanding, well, three ways, really, that you can influence uh, humans' well-being. So you guys would be a good prep, I should ask you, actually. But my, my three that I think are universal are health, education, and money. Those three things, to me, change whether a human is going to have a good life or a bad life. And so that was what I was interested in. And I thought, okay, well, 
what can I most, you know, I've got to pick one of those three, what am I most interested in? And from sodas, I went into health. So that's why I decided after working for a few years to go and do my master in public health. Um, I was focusing a little bit on water and waterborne diseases and, and that kind of um, sort of low cost intervention that we can do now with NAO's technology. And then it sort of broadened out and started looking at new things. I started looking at family and maternal health and nutrition and all kinds of other small things that we can do. You know, we can change a lot by educating people. And so the education started to creep in to my health side of things. You know, I kind of, I tried to get away from it, but it crept in anyways. And I ended up talking to, sorry, I'm looking for the speaker. <laughs> um, and I ended up working after I graduated for a, an organization which I really loved called Healthy Child Uganda. And their mission, they were working, so they were a partnership between a Ugandan university and a University of Calgary. And they, so most of the staff was Ugandan. We just had two or three people working in Canada, um, either specialists or, in my case, um, sort of doing knowledge translation of the health into you know, taking something that a, um, that a doctor or a nurse or a surgeon is saying here in Canada, a, an expert, a medical expert, and translating that into um, not condescending language that somebody with a third grade education could understand. Um, so that was kind of my role in, in that. And I was really excited. I went to, uh, I, got, I was going to go to Uganda and work with these people and I had, you know, been working on this for months. Um, and then I, I got this kind of life-changing phone call. Um, and I didn't end up going to Uganda. And I'll, I'll tell you a bit about more about that in a second. But I, I'd like to know uh, of a time when science has saved your life or somebody really close to you. And I bet there's more than you think. Seatbelts is one of my favorites. I was waiting for someone to say that. Helmets.
your other SPD transmission. So, yeah. What about non-medical? What do you try and think? You know, what about the emergency brakes on a train? Sometimes, <laughs> most of the time they work actually. Politicians. I don't know. I've seen people through back and pretty bad politicians. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I just, I just, I didn't want to come to a conclusion. I just wanted to kind of make you stretch your minds a little bit this Sunday morning and think about, you know, it's not just medicine. It's not just hard sciences. It is things that, you know, engineering has played a huge role in in saving a lot of people's lives, as has as has a lot of social science, honestly. I mean, like you said, politics, and I kind of joked, but the people who study how politics works and how human society works, they've probably actually saved more lives than you would think of, because if you think about someone stopping a war, that's saving a lot of lives. Um, or somebody accepting or not accepting refugees, for example. You know, you don't think of that as science, but in a certain sense, there are social scientists working behind the scenes saying, you know, it's more beneficial to our society to let people in, or it's more beneficial to our society to not go to war, etc. Well, then that means we don't let civil wars just go on and 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 on. So what does that mean? The United Nations is doing nothing about civil wars. I don't get that. I think she's talking about very broadly. Yeah, well, I, I get the idea to stop war, but then civil war, and I think the international community failed miserably on civil wars. I wasn't speaking specifically about the international community. I mean, a civil war, I mean, there could be people inside that society who know that, like, a personal, I think a lot of civil wars continue because someone has figured out that it's good for them. So it's, it's the same science, but being applied <coughs> in the negative. You know, in a lot of countries in Africa, you have people who are actively maintaining certain civil wars because it benefits them. Yeah. Just wanted to mention the, the dark side of science, <laughs> where a man now has uh, created a weaponry which is so sophisticated that it can kill millions of people within a, a very short time. Mm. Well, I, I was speaking that to someone comes out of science. Yes, I was speaking to someone else about this before. Beginning with the Hiroshima and the Nagasaki, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that we've always... As well as genocide. And you let her be fine. Yeah. I must sort of let her That's okay. bring it back up. Oh, it's fine. I like healthy debates. It's good for us, good for our brains. But um, I think that there is, there is a dark side to science, and there is a lot of things that brought that are negative as well as positive. I think overwhelmingly the, the positive outweighs the negative. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're right. There's, there's, but I don't think it's recently that science has allowed people to kill 
lots and lots of people. I mean, if you look back through history, what constituted killing lots and lots of people, I mean, you have, you go back before you had nuclear weapons and we had chemical and we had um, biological weapons, you know, the smallpox kind of scares that happened. And you go back further than that and you've got things like the Trojan horse. I mean, you go way back, right? So there's always being like this dark side to science and invention and Humans are, unfortunately, by nature, somewhat war-mongering species, so. Um, so, you know, I wanted to talk about how science has saved us or saved our lives, and so I found out at 26 that I've got a, a terminal heart condition, uh, which should have, uh, in any previous human lifetime, killed me uh, before 30, um, but due to sort of this scientific, living in this scientific society where it's, you know, we agree that science is important and practiced and practiced openly. Um, they were able to detect it, do something about it. I now have a, an ICD, like a pacemaker fitted. So, um, which people never, people can never tell, but that's okay. Um, so it always confuses people, like scanning me at the airport. I'm like, what? <laughs> but, so what I've, kind of taken away is that you know science is really important to society it's also really important to me personally on a on a personal level but also on just a I would not be alive today if not for science and so for me you know that's the difference of living another 50 years I don't know what's going to happen in the next 50 years um, in sort of finishing up there's two points that I think are really interesting there's so, me living another 50 years, there's a woman who died yesterday who was the oldest woman alive today, who was holding the record for being the oldest woman alive. Um, 117. She was born in 1899. Can you imagine all, this, all these changes, all this technology, all this science breakthroughs that she's seen in her lifetime? And they're saying today that there are there's pretty decent science that estimates that the first person to live to over a thousand years is alive today, which I think is amazing. And I hope that I'm part of the crew that makes it to a hundred. <laughs> that would be great. So. Increase them? Hmm? Increase them? No, uh, just from uh, various sort of breakthroughs in, in stem cell technology or in sort of like combating the various aging processes. They're not that far away from getting uh, getting that kind of breakthrough to get those first really healthy people to that age, which I think is really incredible. Yeah. So, anyways, um, that was sort of my it's been been my science journey. There's more to it, but of course, you know, we only have a limited amount of time. So, um, I'll open it up to questions in a second, and we can certainly have more discussion around these topics. Um, I just wanted to say if you, you know, if any of this resonated with you or you feel that it, you know, sort of you have some sort of similar compulsion to support science or you agree with that, I'd love to invite you all to, to join me in uh, Marching for Science. It's happening on Earth Day, April 22nd. Um, we're starting at 10 a.m. at the, the Queen Elizabeth Plaza, which is, you know, where they used to hold the Vancouver Christmas Market. At sort of plaza, that's where that is. 
Yep, near the library at CVC and uh, Stadium Chinatown, I think is the closest ice cream station. So we're walking from there down along the seawall to Science World, and then we've got a fantastic lineup of speakers, which includes your very own Ian Bushfield as one of them. Um, and we'll have some music, and there's food trucks, and you'll be able to, I was hoping to have shirts here, but we're not done printing them yet. We have got a fantastic First Nations screen printer who's doing them for us. Um, and so I'd love to invite you all out to come out, support science. It's supposed to be really nice and sunny, so good thing to do with kids or family or whatever. And thank you for listening.